Amen. In the last gospel, uh, they were contriving to catch Jesus standing in the temple, right? And they were preparing to execute Jesus, and they were, con- uh, what is it? What's that word? Contriving or convening, kind of coming together? Conspiring, yeah, conspiring. Coming together in the temple. And just a little bit earlier, they told them, woe, you know, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, because uh, you took uh, uh, from from the you are the sons and of those of the fathers that persecuted the righteous people before from the blood of Abel all the way to the blood of Zechariah the son of Berechiah who was slayed and murdered in the temple. So he's telling he's he's like basically the the, the the message here is he's warning them, be watchful, you know. That's the message in the whole thing, is that look, look, look to yourself. This, uh, this is going to be a summary of all of the, the, the talks. The hard thing here, the most difficult thing is when you hear a sermon that reveals you. The most effective sermons, the most effective speakers are the ones who reveal you to yourself. If there's no other word that you heard first in first grade was, look, right? Behold, like if you were in the, in the first century or old, old times, behold, or see, look, right? And then you go, ah, you didn't see it before, but you, now you notice it, Right? The idea is now that you want to see, okay? Watch, be watchful. He tried to uh, reveal this. Now, uh, it's supposed to be 10 minutes. The last time I gave a 10-minute successful talk was never. So, Abuna, <laughs> excuse me. So, if we're here, yeah, I don't know where to say. If we're here, uh, if I go too long and you need to go home, that's okay, Yanni, man. I no hard feelings. So let's uh, let's let's kind of summarize a little bit of everything, but I'd like to. Thanks, Michael. Uh, there's a little, okay, just a couple of things. I, so I want to try to figure out um, what is it that makes the difference between wise and foolish, right? We have the five, wise five uh, wise uh, five virgins and uh, foolish. Uh, uh, eh? The five wise virgins and the foolish virgins. What's the difference? Yeah, we said earlier the oil. Okay, what's the difference between? Because this is all Matthew chapter twenty-five. Okay, and there's uh, today in the, the the day of Tuesday is five parables. The main one that we're going to talk about is the wedding procession, the bride coming to take uh, the groom coming to take his bride. The next uh, parable is the parable of the talents. Five, two. And one talents, right? The master gave five talents to one, two to another, and one. What's the difference between the guy with the five, with the guy with, well, it doesn't matter. The five and two versus the guy with the one. What made the difference? Later on then, the last verse was in, in the chapter 25 of Matthew. He says, and on my right hand will be sheep, and on my left hand will be goats. 
The sheep, blessed are you, come into the joy of your father. What's the difference between a sheep and a goat? This, because I, I just want to make sure that I'm not a goat, right? That's the bottom line. I want to make sure that I am of the wise virgins and not of the foolish. How can I make sure? What is it? Can you give me, Uncle John, can you give me bullet one, two, and three, and just so I can check them off and make sure? Or what happens? I mean, what's the difference? At the end of this, I'm not going to give you the difference. I hope you find the difference. Look, see, watch, behold, okay? But first, let's kind of review a little bit of what a Jewish wedding tradition in the first century is like. Okay? I, I wrote this down so I can be concise and we don't keep going on and on. Oh, just a couple points earlier, and some people have mentioned it. Five, five foolish, five wise. That is a 50-50 chance, okay? That is, there's equal chance. There's no prejudice and there's no uh, favoritism. You have equal opportunity like everybody else. The number 10 is always a fullness of number. That is, everybody's welcome. There is no prejudice, but it's equally divided. Are you going to be part of this or part of that? The church, just in case that you are mistaken that you think that you're the bride, the church is the bride. But the church is the bride of its members, and we are members of the bride. So that's okay. You can say that I am the bride. But firstly, the church is the bride. And she is the one who is going to marry the groom. We are the children of the bride, and that is children of light, because we are imitators of Christ. He is light of light, so we are children of light, and we profess faith in him, in the groom. That's why we are children of this bride, this church. Okay? The bride makes herself ready daily for the coming of the Lord to commence the wedding and live forever in his protection the tradition of the jewish wedding this is you can if you kind of i'm not going to review the stories of rebecca uh and with uh, isaac and rachel and leah and all of those kinds of weddings in the old testament but if you keep that in mind while i read these 20 some points of how the steps of how the groom and the bride kind of meet in first century jewish uh, tradition the son leaves home to offer marriage a marriage contract the marriage contract is called ketubah if you know Arabic or Arabic and Hebrew, Semitic languages, kitab, yani, uh, signature, a contract. And if you get married, you will have to sign a contract. Okay, uh, And it has to be in black ink, not blue ink. It will say that in boldface. Uh, he will come and offer a precious value. The higher the value, the more precious the, the, the item itself, okay? So if I go and find uh, someone to marry and $10, she's worth $10. If I go and offer $1,000, I offer $1,000. Oh my goodness, you really value her that much? You want to put $1,000 down? What do you see in her? Eh? Okay, I, I mean, yeah, you got to take this first century tradition, okay? She has... Uh, uh, it's not so bad. Uh, there's some meaning uh, about it. They used to exchange cows for... Uh, okay, let's not go there. We were... Um, <laughs> now, for us, what's our price? What did St. Peter say? We were redeemed and purchased by not silver and gold, but by the precious blood of Christ. The value... Okay, put value. Okay, put another value. Put another value. 
the value of the Son of Man, Son of God, dying for your sake. Put a dollar. The Ketubah, the book, yani the contract, includes the financing, the budget, the price, the fines, in case someone defaults, huh? and the divorce criteria. Because if we're going to merge together, there's got to be reasons for us to break apart. So this uh, contract is a full contract, executed contract. And he goes out, finds this, uh, his bride, and he presents this information, the ketubah, to his wife, uh, to his future wife, yani, and the family. After his father's blessings, the, the groom uh, has, you know, after he, his father gives him the blessing to do this, he goes and finds his soulmate. The father has to give him the blessing. So, okay, son, you're of age, you, you've done well, go ahead and you can find. But it's the father that has to release him. The bride and her family show their agreement if they drink the wine that the groom brought them. So he comes with the ketubah and a little bottle of wine and two glasses of champagne or whatever, wine. And if they sign on the contract, and then he, as soon as she drinks from the wine, she doesn't have to sign because maybe she doesn't know how to read or write. But it doesn't matter. She, all she has to do is drink from the wine. If she drinks from the wine, the contract is fully executed. Okay? That is, if she decides to leave him now for another man, she's committing adultery. This is the same as being betrothed. This is how if, uh, Saint Ma- if Joseph um, would have left St. Mary after he found that she was pregnant with uh, the child Jesus, she would have and gone somewhere else. She would have been considered, that's adultery. That is, the thought of her getting pregnant, that's why he was worried. It's like, what is this until he finally got a dream from, from the angel saying that, don't worry about it, this is all from divine uh, pregnancy. He thought that she broke that covenant of marriage. They didn't consume their marriage, that is, they didn't come together, but the contract, the ketubah, has been signed. Therefore, any foul play from that moment on until the final wedding is done is considered adultery, not just fornication. Fornication is that you're not married and you're just playing around. So, for, this is a, uh, a contract, the ketubah. So now she, everything is signed, uh, they drink the wine. Now he comes back, happy as ever can be, and he prepares then a place for his bride, basically, in his father's estate or the home. So he goes back to his father and says, I have prepared a place for you. Keep your minds open when I say certain words and certain verses that kind of trigger, okay? That's, that's the idea. The groom, uh, the, she now prepares, now he left her. She now prepares herself for his return. He, she knows that he's coming back. When? She doesn't know exactly when, but she knows that he is coming back. So what can she do? She's going to prepare herself continuously from that moment on. She doesn't know, but she waits in happy anticipation. She watches day and night, and she uses oil lamps at night in case he comes at night. There's no street lights. There's flashlight. It's not if he comes, but it's when he comes, I'll be ready. When the father sees that the son has completed everything to perfection, he gives his blessing now to go and get her married. So the first was a blessing to prepare and to look for uh, her, his bride. The second one is now she's, he's completely prepared. He's, the, the, the estate is ready to receive the bride. So now the son gets ready to go, but in the meantime, he sends his best man with gifts ahead of him to tell the neighbors and her other family members to get ready and send a gift and a comforting message to the bride in case she fails or falls into despair. So 
He's getting himself ready. Now, the father said, go ahead and get yourself ready. So he says to his best man, go ahead of me as I get ready and prepare myself. Go give these gifts and make sure that she's doing okay and that she's not in despair and she's not upset. In the meantime, he goes to the, all of the neighbors and all of the family members and says, get ready. We're going to have a wedding. Okay, it's soon. So they start getting ready too, um, getting their gifts ready, getting dressed and all of that stuff, festive occasion. So she, on the other hand, uh, at, at her end, her and her bridesmaids, uh, maidens schedule and complete something called a mikvah. Mikvah is just a, ba- a bath, but baptismal bath in, from our Christian sense, okay? So they bathe, bathe uh, themselves. The groom and the best man, uh, uh, either one, I'm not quite sure from the tradition, but someone blows the ram's horn to announce that they're coming, the, the groom has now is dressed and is now going to leave his father's estate and leave to initiate a seven-day wedding festival. He begins the journey through the city, making his way around, all the way straight to the bridegroom's house. But on the road, the friends and the family, now you can imagine him uh, walking, his best man is in front of him, and all of the family members are coming out of their homes, some bringing uh, songs, some bringing instruments, some bringing gifts, some bring, uh, gifts, yani, uh, food, um, yani, not a vase or so, a vase or something like that, because you know what I mean, something that they will enjoy in the feast that's coming ahead. Um, he plans to arrive at the uh, bride's house late in the evening, it's cooler in the evening, so it's easier. It's not so hot and sweaty and, and stuff like that. The groom finds his wife to be and double checks. You know, the, you know this thing where uh, uh, in our weddings, you know, the, that, you know, that kind of thing? Just to make sure that she's the right one. <laughs> I mean, well, it happened, right? Where did it happen before? Yeah, Lee and Rachel. So it was like, he double checks. Are you the one? He looks, this is the look. He sees something in her and says, I'm going to marry you. What is it that he sees? Because we want to make sure that he sees that in us. Okay? You know, I I can't tell you what it is, but just in case I forget, if someone says, why did you marry your wife? I love her. Well, what is it? Well, I mean, yeah, maybe I can tell you a couple of points, but that's not, I mean, yeah, she, she was in pharmacy school and I was in medical school and we kind of met and, uh, yes, yeah, but I love my wife. I mean, what is it about her that I love? It's, there's something, okay? I can't tell you what it is, but there's that genuine love for her. You don't see it, I see it. How do you see it? And what do you see? Well, how can I be there? How can I get there? This is your own reflection, Val. Uh, the bride uh, and the maids quickly trim their lamps. Oh, okay, wait, we didn't skip here. But if he delays any further, the bride and her maids may slumber out of fatigue. They've been waiting and waiting, so they get tired and so they sleep. The friend of the groom announces their arrival, and the groom then knocks at the door. Uh, my expectation is that one of you know, those doors that only have one doorknob on one side... So he knocks. He doesn't force himself in. He knocks and steps back a couple of steps this way, so he's not forceful. In case she doesn't want. Maybe she chose differently. He, uh, when she opens the door, he checks and makes sure that she's the right one. This is where the bride and the bridemaids, all of them trim their lamps. You know, these, uh, these little wicks things, if there's oil, the, the wick um, 
I don't know, it, does, it, it burns off. So they have to trim it and pull the, uh, the string through and then light that. That's the idea of trimming their lamp, okay? So he checks and then the, the groom finds his wife to be and takes her, starts walking back to his father's estate. The father makes sure that everyone is in the room that's invited, is prepared, wearing the, their festive uh, outfits and with their uh, uh, gifts and everything, and shuts and brings in. And as soon as the servants are in, he shuts the gate. As soon as the gate is shut, now the party begins. The difference of these two is that one was foolish, one was wise. has nothing to do with your IQ. This is one of the sayings, it might clarify, of the father's. The greatest fools are the wise in their own arrogance and miss out on the wedding reception. You're a fool, not because of what you ate this morning. You're a fool and you don't know it until that moment when you look and you see everybody else in the reception and you're not. That's the biggest fool. Not the guy that got a bad grade, not the guy, you know, all of these things, not the guy that made a bad investment, not the guy who whatever. That's when you feel like you've, you've messed up. The distress on their face when they see the fate of their decision is horrifying. So up until now, we can't see a difference. There were just 10 women, okay? It was not apparent until the very last second that all of a sudden, some did and some didn't. What is it? Scary, because we all look alike, okay? It's like me and Michael and Kiro or something, we, we enter into this place and all of a sudden I'm pushed out. And we walk in. No, wait, we just walked all the way together, we came together here and everything was together. We played together, we came and all of a sudden at the last second, whoa. So up until this last minute, there was no apparent difference between the ten women. Yes, until the bridegroom looked closely into the hidden secrets of their hearts and evaluated their spiritual or fruit of life. These hidden virtues are what makes you appealing or not appealing to the groom. These virtues cannot be shared, nor are they directly apparent. So if there is an ugly bride, she can't say, Hey, pretty bride, can you share your beauty with me? It doesn't work that way. You can't share that kind of beauty. Inner beauty is formed from a deep and intimate personal relationship with the groom. Inner beauty is formed from a deep and intimate personal relationship with the groom. And these virtues are bought with toil, with effort, and with sacrifice. Now... Who, uh, who here thinks that they know the difference between a sheep and a goat? Yeah, I know. You guys are going to say, oh yeah. Huh. Which one is the sheep and which one is the goat? Very good, yeah. That's easy for us, but that's not all. This is kind of breed, uh, a breed thing. Uh, can I uh, go back? Which one is the sheep and which one is the goat? Okay, a little bit more difficult, but... Uh, in reality, 
this is like in Middle East, uh, Eastern Asia, and um, whatever, Middle East and stuff like that. There you go. Only the shepherd who knows their sheep will pick out his sheep. So what's the difference between a sheep and a goat? Okay, just uh, curiosity's sake. Where is the goat? Huh? All right, all right. There's, there's, there's actually, I had to look all this stuff up. I don't know. I'm not a shepherd. I've, I don't have a farm. I had to look all this stuff. But uh, apparently the sheep always have their tail down and the goat has their tail up. There's, I don't know. There's a whole bunch of differences, but I, I'm not here to tell you about sheep and goats from the farming standpoint. However, let's see. Just to clarify, what's, what is it that makes them different than the others? Why did they stand out at the last minute? Okay. Why are the sheep and the goats separate? Why are, why are the sheep better than the goats? Why does one earn reward and another punishment? How do I make sure that I am not a goat? What if I already am a goat? How do I know it? Is there an inward difference that produces such different outcomes? So the little research. Fun fact. In North America, sheep and goats are easily distinguishable due to specialization through their breeding. Sheep are fluffy and woolly, goats are not. However, through history and still today in parts of Asia and Africa, like I mentioned, sheep and goats are almost identical and no one but a shepherd can easily tell the difference. So the application here for the parable would be that being part of a herd isn't all that's required. There is something that only our shepherd can see in us and that unseen things tells God whether we are sheep or goats. It determines whether God sorts us to the left or to the right. Only the shepherd can tell. So, a couple things that I learned. Sheep, what do you think of sheep? Kind of stupid. Yeah, I don't know. They're kind of simple. Okay, maybe that's a bad word to say. Uh... What happened there? Hmm. They're kind of simple. Uh, however, they have always been that way in the sense that they were dependent on the shepherd. They are defenseless. So a, shep- a sheep does not stray far from his shepherd because they don't know the way and they don't have much ammunition to fight back. So in case there's elements or there's wolves or whatever... Wherever the shepherd goes, the sheep are going to be there. No doubt about it. Okay? Goats, the other end. They are, on the other hand, they have a reputation of being independent, opinionated, curious at best, vulgar, dangerous, and destructive at worst. These are not my words. These are the, these are the farmers that are saying this. Okay? And here are some quotes from people describing sheep and goats. If you love goats... In with your horse, I'm sorry, if you leave goats in with your horse, they may chew off their tail. I didn't know that. <laughs> I didn't know this other one. If your fence won't hold water, it won't hold a goat. If your fence doesn't hold water, it won't, but that is, they will chew through it. If there's a little bit, they'll burrow through. And about, there's other 50, 50 other testimonies of uh, goats butting cars and you know, crazy things like that. So in summary... Shepherds protect sheep from their environment, whereas goat herders protect the environment from their goats. What does this mean for us to be God's sheep? We must depend on Him. If we push, take, destroy, and bully, we are goats. 
The main thing through the central difference between sheep and goats is this simple thing. A sheep is led by his shepherd. A goat is not led, but rather a goat herder follows the goats. Literally, sheep follow the voice of their shepherd and trust him to lead them to food, water, and safety. If they wander, the shepherd will go out and rescue them and bring them back to the safety of the flock because they have no other way of finding They don't have GPS. They don't know how to get back. The shepherd always has to go back and find them. The sheep separated from their shepherd and flock become uncomfortable. The sheep hate being away from Hate it. They, don't, they can't. They're uncomfortable. They're nervous. They're vulnerable to the elements because they have no defensive or survival abilities. The goat, however, doesn't follow anybody. Doesn't care. A herd, a goat goes wherever it pleases, grazes wherever it wants to go, uh, forging anything that uh, strikes their fancy. So that tells us that if we are allowing ourselves to be led, being sensitive to the pull of God's spirit, and following the path of our shepherd, we are sheep. If we are headstrong, going our own way, and pulling back against God's spirit, we're goats. So the thing that God sees in his sheep is gentle, yielding spirit. The sheep trusts their shepherd. They follow his voice. On the other hand, the goats have a spirit of defiance, self-will, and independence from God's involvement in their lives. There's something that the sheep love about their shepherd. Ask the sheep, why do you love your shepherd? I don't know, but I follow him. Well, give me something. In case you don't know and haven't found a reason to love Christ, ask his wife, his bride. She knows him very well. She will tell you a million and one reason. He is so lovely. He is so compelling. The reason that the wise, uh, wise virgins followed and prepared themselves, why did they get extra oil? Why? Not what they did. Yes, they got extra oil. Why did you do it? Because I love him. I found something about him that I adore. I can't not, not do it. I'm going to do it. Because my love drives me there. Now, okay, you see, Uncle John, I don't know, I can't love Christ. I don't know what it is about him that everybody loves. That's okay. Keep doing what you're doing. Walk the path. Ask the bride, the church. The church will give you a reason, two, three, and on eternity for why you should love him. And because of that love, you will, it will drive you and pursue him who loves you back. And glory be to God forever.